Psychology in Seattle. So, Berto, I thought we would do a grab bag episode in which we talked about various things. We could talk about bullying. We can talk about art. We can talk about whatever. What do you say? Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Umberto? My name is Umberto Castaña, and I plant ivy around the city. So the first thing I want to talk about is bullying. Uh, Patron George wants us to talk about it. Wrote us, I'm guessing, a long time ago. But he writes, Hi, as I am learning more and more about myself doing research and therapy, I came to the conclusion that my problems may be the result of long-time bullying in my childhood. Mm. Unfortunately, it's hard to come by someone who, ex- who experienced something similar or anything on, a long, on the long-term effect of something like this. Maybe it would be a great topic. Greetings from Germany. Thanks for the awesome podcast. Yeah, so what do you, you have to say about that, bro? So actually, I recently, in the last, maybe three years ago or something, I found out that my dad had been heavily bullied for years from the time he was like, I don't know, 12 or something or 11 to when he was, I think, 16. So maybe it was like four or five years where every day when he would go walking to school, like he he would get bullied by these older kids in the neighborhood. Um, And I never knew that. And that actually really affected me. You know, it was, uh, it's kind of hard to hear. Felt really sad for him. Yeah, I mean, how do you think it affected him? It, it must have affected him deeply. Like, basically, you must feel... So, you know, I, I look back, and when I was in school, I got lucky, I guess, but I definitely saw, I mean, in Colombia, there were, there were bullies. I, I saw... Uh, one of my classmates was constantly beat up by a dude and his buddies that were two classes ahead of us. And now this guy in my class, he was one of the larger kids in my class. For some reason, they just like ganged up on him like these older kids. When I was five in New York, there was a kid who was seven who would bully me and the the thing I, I don't remember too much, many details, but I do remember one time he pushed me down the stairs. I fell down like a flight of stairs, you know. And uh, I remember being at a ice cream shop, and my dad had just bought me a little ice cream cone. And he went around to the next uh, store over was a the he was doing the dry cleaning or no the the wash he was doing the wash. And while he did that, and I was sitting there eating my my ice cream, some teenagers like knock the ice cream out of my hands yeah you know stuff like that so i have all these little memories but i wasn't regularly bullied so imagine if that happened like every day every day right and that's what i found out was happening to my dad uh yeah it would be devastating i like that'd be it would consume your thoughts and you'd be like what am i gonna do how am i gonna deal with this who can i talk to it would be terrifying yeah it's awful and patron george illuminates an aspect of this, which is it's not talked about a lot. In our society, we don't talk about a lot of things that we consider to be, um, you know, uh, delicate or taboo or scary. And we don't talk about abuse in general, right? right? But in our 
illumination as a society. We're starting to talk more and more about domestic violence, intimate partner violence, uh, child abuse, sexual abuse, sexual assault. So it's not foreign to people, particularly on the internet, that if you experienced five years of sexual abuse by your grandfather, that you would have effects later on and that you deserve services or you deserve leeway in certain relationships or you deserve sympathy, you deserve empathy. But when it comes to bullying, we tend to categorize it like, well, yeah, I mean, kids are kids. Kids will be boys. (laughs) Yeah. And you'll, you know, you get bullied for a little bit and then you just move on with your life. Toughen up. Yeah. But what people don't realize is that for some individuals, the bullying can be to such an intensity and or length of time that it's at the exact same abusive level as being sexually abused or physically right. abused by one of your parents. Yeah. And the effects are the same. I had a client that I worked with for a long time who this was his issue. Mm. He he was uh, bullied. He went to a private school or a boarding school of some kind. And he says that he wasn't nerdy. He wasn't short. He wasn't fat. He wasn't bad at sports. He wasn't, you know, there was he wasn't overly smart. There wasn't yeah. anything about him that he could figure out as to why these, this little ring of bullies terrorized him for at least a year, if not longer. Wow. And for him, it was particularly bad because he lived at the school. Ugh. So he couldn't go home right. and get safety. He he slept in the same... Day and night. Yeah, in the same dorm hall or whatever that they slept. Oh, my God. And the terror, the, the it's like being in a prison camp or something. Yeah. Now, more mundane stories are, or not mundane, but more normal, common, I should say, is that you come home and you're fine at home, but then you go to school and you're being bullied. Yeah. And the experience, I mean, I have been mildly bullied growing up. I have similar stories to you. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more. Uh, And the little bit of glimpse that I saw into that world of being a victim of a bully, it it was, was, I mean, the few times it happened, let me just put it this way. The, the few times it happened in my childhood are some of the most vivid memories right. of my life. Right. And to have that happen day in and day out, to wake up in the morning and think, I've got to, I, I have to get on the bus or I have to walk to school and enter the, the meat grinder yeah. willingly. Ugh. And it's going to be bad. It's just right. a matter of how bad it's going to be would just be horrible. Yeah, well, like I said, like, if you ask me, hey, give me all the memories that I have about my school in first grade when I was in New York City. (laughs) I mean, there's probably literally like three things I'd remember. One is this little girl I liked named Nicole. Although I called her Nickel. (laughs) And and I can actually picture the classroom and stuff. Uh and walking to school one day when my dad left me, I, I've talked about this before where I had to walk by myself, but that's not even at the school. And there's this kid pushing me down the stairs. That's it. Right. Right. So 
it's very impactful and it's really awful. So the thing I'll say to patron George is in the same way that someone who was sexually abused by their grandfather for five years, you deserve the same amount of treatment and care and leeway and empathy and understanding and self-compassion Yeah, uh, as they do. Uh, y- you just because we have this, you know, when you say bullying, you think, oh, you know, yeah, that's bad. You should stop bullying. But yeah. when we say grandfather raping his granddaughter, right. we don't, there's no... There's no lightweight version of that. Right. <laughs> With bullying, uh, we need, I guess, another word for, like, uh, extensive bullying or traumatic bullying or um, ongoing traumatic yeah. bullying. Yeah, it. we need a, some phrase for it or something because it deserves it. And uh, so uh, that's what I'll say about that. The effects that people will have growing up that I've seen in clients are severe shame about who they are. Because when you're young, you want to be accepted. You want everyone to like you. You want people to think you're at least normal or something. And to be targeted like that can make you feel very abnormal and very ashamed of who you are. You can feel very belittled, and this extends into adult life. You could feel very distrusting of other people. You could develop a complex about particular kinds of people. Yeah. You could be very competitive. You could be very immature in some ways because you're still arrested in that early stage of life. You could turn to substances a lot more often to cope with the deep suffering that you're going through on a daily basis, uh, alcohol and marijuana in particular, I suppose. You could become a bully yourself yeah. and uh, you know harm other people in, in the process. You could feel suicidal. You yeah, know, like... could feel suicidal, could be depressed, could be anxious, obviously PTSD and other tr- trauma reactions. So... All that would be totally normal and predictable and expected uh, under extensive ongoing bullying, traumatic bullying when you're young. And if you find a good therapist that understands that sort of thing, then they'll be able to, they'll be able to help you do that. I, I, with the client that I am thinking of that I worked with many years ago, he came in for a different issue. Mm. And as we explored his, his like marriage, I think, or, you know, relationships he was in. And as it was a number of months, I remember. And at mm. some point he's like, well, you know, I was kind of bullied a lot when I was in boarding school as a kid. Wow. And I think it, it's sort of like, oh, okay. And then a few sessions later, somehow the conversation went back there. And I said, you know, so tell me more about this. Yeah. This, what do you mean? Oh, well, this happened and this, I mean, I could see him getting worked up about it. Wow. And I start saying to him that this isn't regular bullying, you understand? Like, this is pretty bad. And instantly he was like, oh, my God, you're right. You know, I I have all this sadness and trauma and hurt and fear and anger and that I've never been able to express because at the time, one, I was at a boarding school. Who's going to listen to me? I wasn't at home. I couldn't talk to my parents too. Even if I was home, my parents weren't the sort of parents that would care or would, or would really listen to me. And so I have all these feelings. Again, you think back to when you were in the sixth grade or something. Yeah. You had your best friends, I'm guessing. 
Yeah. Right. And then there were your second layer friends who you kind of knew that you could hang out with and maybe play a game with at recess. But, right. and then you had like the further away people who you barely knew. Yeah. Imagine if you had no friends because they didn't want to be associated with you. Right. And the people you kind of know are the bullies who hate oh you, my God. who all they're thinking about, or at least part of the time is how to, how, how, to har- you. how to harm you, yeah. how to make you scared, how to make you uh. hurt. And then the people beyond that, you don't care because you don't really know them. That's the circle you live in when yeah. you're being bullied on an ongoing basis. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's just, it's just awful. So I was very afraid. Ah, I'm not very afraid, but I was, I was worried when I was moving here when I was 15 because I had watched all these movies, you know, and in, in the movies, usually in high schools, there's always a bully, you know? So when I was moving to the States to go to high school, I had that fear in the back of my mind that, oh my gosh, am I going to be like bullied by someone because I'm the new kid and, the, you know. Um, and the very first day that I, I got dropped off at school by my mom, the the dude, the senior that was going to give me the tour around the high school, his nickname was Animal, and he wore all this like leather, leather and had the heavy metal shirts and had the long hair to his waist. Leather. Not, I meant le- plastic leather, you know. And and my mom was terrified that she dropped me off with this kid who's going to give me the tour. His name's Animal, but he was the nicest guy. And um, on top of that, I got Did really, the teachers call him Animal? Yeah, everyone called him Animal. <laughs> but I got really lucky because there were a couple people in, uh, like, I remember in my chemistry class, for example, there was a guy that I feel qualifies, like, in the category of, like, a bully because I saw him bully a few other people but for some reason like maybe it's the way I was because he would you know he he tried to like say something jokey but I kind of like just made friends with him not friends but like he he basically didn't find prey prey in me I guess mm. and so that never went anywhere and then I never and then I went to like I remember going to the weight cl- uh, weight uh, weights lifting class and again, I had never been around uh, black kids because there were no black kids in my school in Colombia. And so here's my first exposure to all these. And a lot of them were like big football players and stuff. Nicest guys, no problems. Yeah. And I'm like, so I got super lucky. Like I had none of these problems. And, and then I... You're like, hey, where's my American where's experience? Where's my damn American bully? Like, yeah, where's my experience? Um, but I... I knew that in, in Colombia, there were some kids that I saw, like I said, that, that were constantly bullied. I wonder if it does happen more. Probably not. But my school was also like a, a private school, not a boarding school, but it was a private school. And um, I know my brother was telling me, because he went to a private school too, that there were quite a lot of uh, bullying behaviors there too. I yeah, I don't know. something with private schools. I could see that at more insular. I don't know. Mm. But- so there's a there's two things I'll say about bullying and then we'll move on is that one it is anecdotally true to me that certain qualities and behaviors in victims can uh, attract bullies which I'll get into in a second. The second thing I'll say is for a lot of people the bullying just happens. Yeah. Like like the client I had he, we I think explored this 
there was nothing we could think of that would have set him apart from anyone, anyone right. else, other, other than the fact that I think he was the new kid or something. Yeah. And so it, it's tempting for victims to be like, I must have done something wrong. Yeah. And I think sometimes there's, there's nothing you can point to. I mean, even if you did, quote unquote, do something wrong, like you <laughs> yeah. played Dungeons and Dragons or <laughs> you had acne or something. That that's not justification for for physical and mental abuse. Uh, having said that, so having said all that, I have found anecdotally that there are some things that, shall we say, tween sociology will target, mm. like being different, yeah, um, not having any connections. So if you're a eleven year old girl in you know, sixth grade or something. And it's perceived by the bullies who are trying to find an easy victim that you don't have any resources. You don't have any social capital. You don't know anyone cool. Right. Then that increases your, your uh, vulnerability and because the, the bully does not want to bully someone who has power. They want to bully someone who has no power. They want to find someone who cannot fight back and cannot garner resources to get them back. Mm. They need, they're really trying to find someone who clearly doesn't have the ability, socially speaking. Because really, anyone who is relatively more muscly or taller or something or has two other friends, the physical aspect, you know, often in the movies, they, they'll, they'll, the bully will be big. Yeah. Like, like when you saw Animal. Right. But often bullies are not big. Bullies are just people who are, you can be any size and be a bully. Right. And just because you can, a, a super tall, big person can absolutely be bullied by someone half their size. Uh-huh. So like animal could have been bullied by you. Like right. it, it's just a matter of what you're capable of doing as a bully. Cause most people aren't really capable of fighting back. They don't want to, yeah. they don't want to take it to another level. So all you have to do is be the sort of person to take it to another level and risk going to detention or yep. risk someone retaliating or something. And if you're willing to take those risks, most people are like, they'll just do what, you, they'll just yeah. do what they got to do to get out of the situation. So, so looking like you have no social capital is one. The other thing is, is having a reaction. And th- this is something that I've worked, because I've worked with a lot of victims of bullying as they're being bullied at school. And one of the things that I've worked on with kids is to don't react in a way that they want you to react. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. So right. when you, when they walk up to you in class and, uh, you know, people, you know, there's that time in, in classrooms, in schools when it's, it's like free time, essentially, like at the mm-hmm. end of class or beginning of class or something, the teacher has sort of let go of the class a little bit. Kids are chatting. Right. They come up to you and, and they're just like, hey, piece of shit, how's it going? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what are you doing today, piece of shit? Oh, that's, a, that's kind of a piece of shit jacket. Ha, ha. You know, the kids yeah. are laughing. This is funny. Well, what do, you, what do you think the bully is looking for? Right. Like, hey, man, don't call me that. Stop it. Yeah. What else? <laughs> like, you know, basically a reaction, like an awkward reaction. or Yes. Yeah. Uh, anything that's awkward. Yeah. Anything that makes them look cool because a yeah. bully is trying to overpower and they're trying to look cool. So if you just sit there and go like, uh, whatever, 
You know, if you just sit there and be like, okay, I guess that's what you're going to do. Right. And you just don't react. Well, then- you can, you can probably imagine. So what do you think did 15 year old Berto say when the potential bully said like, oh, Columbia? Let me guess. Is your uncle Pablo? You would say yes. Yes, he, he is Uncle yes, Pablo. Exactly. Right. So that's not an awkward reaction. Yeah. Your reaction was, "Yeah, you're right." Ha ha. I, yeah, or, dude. We used to go to all crazy cocaine parties. Right. So now it's unclear if those people were actually in the verge of bullying you. Sure. But at the very least, it's not an awkward reaction. So now, if you're an awkward kid, you pretty much only have one recourse, which is you just act like you don't care. Yeah. Just don't. Don't give into it. Um, or you just you just go, so if you're going to do that, I'm going to tell the teacher because yeah. I've been told I'm supposed to tell the teacher. Um, the worst, almost the worst thing you can do is, you know, throw your books up in the air and start screaming and, <laughs> and run out of the room. Oh, or yes. especially in today's world because oh, everyone has a phone at school. Oh, yeah. And so when these sort of interactions happened, happen either the bullies or bystanders will start recording it and there's nothing more viral than a bully bullying someone and a victim freaking out right for either to shame the bully or to shame the victim and so the the key is is just to not flip out now if someone is punching you then obviously you got to do what you got to do to get away from it but the key is is to now this is what I would call low-level bullying, where you're not actually being terrorized. You're just they're just trying to get under your skin. There's other kind of bullying where you go to the bathroom and they trap you in there, and they proceed to beat you or they proceed to not let you out of the room or something. In those situations, what we're talking about is almost is criminal in a lot yeah. of ways. And in those situations, you gotta immediately go to the authorities. Of course, and authorities out there, you gotta respond to these people. Because I, and that's another problem. It's similar to domestic violence or being yeah. raped. So many people who have been raped, so many people who have been abused, they go to the authorities, and guess what? The authorities do nothing. Work it out amongst you two. Yeah, they just quit it. And that is uh, that's you must have done something to piss them off. Right. So, um, you know, uh, do you know George St. Pierre, the UFC fighter? So he was one of the best all-time UFC fighters. Recently, I found out he was on the Joe Rogan podcast, uh, and he was talking about uh, – I don't know how recent this was. But anyways, he was heavily, heavily bullied by this one guy and his gang at, when he was growing up, like heavily, which maybe is why he became what he became. But he ran into his bully, uh, yet now that he's a world champion, all these things, and the guy was, I guess, on the street looking really kind of in trouble. And George St. Pierre recognized him and started walking over. And, of course, the guy freaked out because, like, it's not little George St. Pierre that he can bully. It's, like, world champion UFC fighter. But he was, like, they, they talked for a bit. And George St. Pierre gave him some money because he was in need. Yeah, I've told this story before that one of the few times I was bullied was for literally 10 seconds when I was in seventh grade. This older, bigger guy walked up to me. And pushed me down and stomped my foot so hard that my toenail uh, came off. Oh, my God. And my toenail still is, it's not really attached to my toe. Do you, Holy shit. Do you have a, a nail like that? Um, no, but I... Because I, 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 I think like once your toenail 
becomes unattached. unattached. It's like, like not fully attached. It never really attaches. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so he pushed me down. He, he stomped on my foot and he, he had this real crazy look in his eye. Well, it was a very memorable experience for me. Fast, oh, sorry, at what grade? Seventh grade. Seventh grade. Fast forward probably 10 years. I'm at Dante's, the bar in U district. And it's like a college bar. Yeah. And I, see him across the room and I see him with all his friends who weren't bullies to my knowledge. Yeah. But I, so I recognize, Oh, th- those are all those older kids, you know, two or three years older than me. It's yeah. like a little click of theirs. And I went up to him cause now I'm 22 years old and I'm tall and right. he's, he's not, he's not taller than me anymore. And I'm like, I'm like, let's, let's finish what you, <laughs> yeah. what you started, you know? Oh my God. So I go up to him and I'm like, and I tap on his shoulder and they're playing foosball or something. And I tap on his shoulder and there's like six, six or seven uh-huh. girl, men and young men and young women. And they must've been 25 or something. Tap on his shoulder. He turns around. I was like, Hey man, you remember me? He's like, no. And I was like, okay, well you guys uh, went to Pine Lake middle, Pine Lake junior high, right? You're like, yeah. Well, I went there too. I was younger. And you, when I was in the seventh grade, randomly walked up to me you stomped on my foot so hard that my toenail still is not right. And you, and you pushed me down and it, you know, it was, it was pretty traumatic for me. It was was pretty awful moment. And to my knowledge, you and I had never interacted before. You were just an old, you're just an older kid in school. And so, you know, what do you got to say? And I thought he was going to be like, well, well, fuck you. Yeah. And so I'm getting all ready you know, yeah. you're revving up the engines. Oh God. And then he looks down at his feet and he's like, and he doesn't say anything. And, and one of the women in his group says, you did what? And they, they all look at him like, what did you, you did what to this kid? What did, and he's just looking, he's just, he, he can't say, he's, he's not even cringing. He, oh. He's almost like frozen. Yeah. Now, this kid, this guy, obviously was not well because yeah. he obviously was not treated well. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I was treated well growing up. Yeah. I was loved and protected by my parents and my older siblings. Um, so I got 0.0001% of the abuse that he probably got. And, you know, in a flash, I unrevved my engines and was like, well, that didn't go the way I thought it would. And then I just sort of walked away and I thought, well, that, now this is before I became a therapist, but I I definitely noticed like, huh, he seemed very different than a guy. Cause in my head he was going to puff up and because that's how I visioned him in my head all, all those years. I just thought he, he must be that kind of guy. Right. But he wasn't. And that's the thing about bullies when you look at research is that yeah. bullies are not doing well. Yeah. You don't, you're not, people who are raised well don't become bullies. Yeah. <laughs> people who are not abused don't become bullies. So uh, now that doesn't give him an excuse, obviously, no, no. but it gives us a direction for prevention, which is preventing abuse. This is why Biff Tannen didn't do so well. Yeah. 
So let's take a break. When we get back, I want to come out of the closet, um, not as let's a gay, do it. not as a gay person, but as something else. Oh wow! Dun dun dun. All right, we're back from the break. If a bully were to bully someone into becoming a patron, what would they say? Uh, hey, um, I noticed you around the, the yard here, little shitty brains. Uh, what, what you got there? What you got there? Is that your mommy pack your lunch? Or is that a little donation for psychology in Seattle? How about we hand that over, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, whoops. Was that you tripping? Have a nice trip. See you next fall, nerd. Hand it over. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Yeah, become a patron and um, or else big, big animal Birdo will, <laughs> animal will pound you into the ground and rip off your toenail. Um, also, join us on Facebook and Instagram. We do a lot of fun things there. Uh, we don't just, you know, do boring things. We post fun things. Uh, if you want to talk to me, only use my email, contact at psychologyinstyle.com or, con- or the Contact Us page on our website. Also, I'm going to start uh, every Thursday at 2 p.m. Seattle time. I'm going to be chatting in some way, either on Discord or YouTube Live. If you want access to our, archi- our, our archive, go to our website. Email me if you have trouble with the premium feed. You can tweet Birdo at PsychZeroBirdo and watch his YouTube channel at PsychoBirdo. You can join different tiers on Patreon. We have the regular $5 tier and the $10 tier. You get swag in the mail. $25, you get a mug, which is a very cool thing. Nice. If you want a mug and you want to really stand out as a patron, and on Discord, you get a special color yeah. depending on what level you are. What color is yellow? Like, well, <laughs> what color is yellow? What so, level is yellow? So it's sort of a heat map, so... At yellow is five dollar, and the darker red it gets, oh, all the way I up see. to us, which we're like fuchsia or something. Um, and then at the forty-five dollar level, you get a one-hour consultation with me or Berto, anybody. Um, buy my book, multi-role clinical supervision. Also, we're offering scholarships, so go to the website and um, you can apply to the scholarships. By the time this episode comes out, we might be actually offering our third scholarship, but our second scholarship, the deadline will have already occurred. And I was thinking that we would review all the applications by yeah. our live show and we would announce the scholarship winner of the second, the $2,500 scholarship. We would announce it during the live show. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Okay. By, by the way, um, yeah. I am now on the hook. I made a deal with the devil. Um, I was at, so my brother got married um, on Friday. Okay. It's a huge deal. It's his first marriage. Yeah. And they're still together. <laughs> and uh, the wedding went actually fine, but the rehearsal was kind of a mess. But when I was at the rehearsal dinner, I'm sitting next to who, the guy who officiated his, his wedding, who was just a normal dude who's a friend of his, who got his, like, you can go online and get these, like, little certificates to officiate weddings, I yeah, guess. like me. Oh, Yeah. Did you do that? Yeah, I married Mandy. Oh, I didn't know that. I married other people too. Okay. I well, guess there you uh, go. I guess you weren't invited to the wedding. No, I wasn't. <laughs> well, there you go. That so you've gone through this. Yeah, twice. Well, so I was talking to him and he tends to be into the self-help kind of business. 
And so we were just talking and he's like, and he's asking me all these questions about my life and what do I want to do. And, and I'm, well, I want to write this book that I've been working on. So, and, and then he proceeded to guide me down this path. The net effect being that I, I Venmoed a whole bunch of money to my brother to hold for 30 days. And if I don't submit a hundred pages of my book to my brother by July uh, 20th, this money will get donated to Trump 2020. So I, I, I have no choice. I have to write. So I've been writing. Like this is a very motivational kind of thing. So not only did I get to see my brother get married, but now I have like this like, like gun to my head to write. Yeah, I did a thing like this years ago when I was uh, working out, trying to work out more, trying to lose some weight. There's a website. I can't remember what it's called. Flick or something. And it's the exact same thing. So mm. you set a goal and then you give them your credit card and you say, if I don't meet this goal by this date, mm-hmm. and it, uh, then you pick the consequence. And one of the options is uh, however much dollar amount will be donated to the political party that you hate. Oh. And the other part of this is they have uh, this function where you have to actually get more people to sign off that you actually met the goal. Because anyone can just say, yeah, I met the goal. Yeah, I'm there. (laughs) But, you know, you would get other people and they have to actually, uh, they get an email at the end of the week saying, Uh did this person meet this goal? Oh my God. And then uh, they can, they have, they have to confirm it, you know what I mean? Or else, yeah. So. And aren't that some of those where like you take a pic, a before picture that you don't want anyone to see (laughs) and then they'll send it to everyone if you don't meet your goal. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to come out of the closet, Berto. And I, yeah, what's up? I use that phrase in a, in a you know silly way because it's not anything like coming out of the closet as an LGBTQ person, particularly in the past, um, but now too. I ha- have I have a confession to make. Oh gosh! So this is something that I've been dancing around since I started the podcast because not it doesn't come up a lot, but when it's something about my identity. So something about my identity that. I occasionally have to act like I'm not that because I, because it's essentially of marginalization and prejudice. Oh my God. Do you know what it is? I, I, uh, half Japanese, half white, half, uh, half Kirk, half Honda. I don't know. It's, I was in a fraternity in college. Oh, frat boy. Yeah. So, have you never spoken about your frat days on the podcast? No. Wow. Because open kimono. Well, why do you think I would? <laughs> <laughs> why do you think I would not talk about it? Well, okay. Now I think uh, there has been this kind of growing trend in the last, I don't know, decade or something, where there's a lot of bad stories that come out about fraternities and how they treat women and how they treat each other, how they do the hazing uh, and all sorts of weird things like that. There's fraternities have had to close down due to scandals and... Yeah, um, but, you know, it, it, saying you work for Goldman Sachs, for example... Uh, it's not or, as bad as being part of a fraternity. I get it. It's like one of the worst demonic things you could possibly belong to. Well, no, that, that's what, actually what I'm saying is, you know, it's not like people who, you know, are a lawyer, for example. Right. You know, so why do you think it is that I feel as though I couldn't say this? Yeah, I guess maybe because it, it, it implies things that maybe you don't, 
you didn't want people to think like, oh, he's a frat guy, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That I have noticed over the past, well, really, so I entered a fraternity in 1989 mm-hmm. and right away realized that there was massive prejudice. The prejudice was, you know, getting into full swing even back then. Mm. Like, so let me tell the full story. Uh, University of Washington has, I don't know, tens of thousands of students. Yeah. I think like 70,000 or something, something like that. And the Greek system, the fraternities and sororities are something like 5,000 people. Oh, wow. So now a good number of people who go to University of Washington in Seattle, they don't even go to, they don't even hang out at campus very much. They, right, they live at home or something. They live at home. They commute. Yeah. But there's thousands of people who live either in dorms or live in housing yeah. that are not in fraternities or sororities. Way more people than in fraternities. And so, so when I, well, let me back up even further. I, when I grew up, I knew nothing about fraternities or sororities other than the movie Animal House, yeah. which I assumed was a cartoonish version of what it was like. Do you know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> and I think I knew something else. There was some other depiction. But basically, I remember when I was a senior in high school, and I already knew I was going to go to UW, I, I had no associations with fraternities or sororities. I mean, this is before the internet and blah, blah, blah. But a lot of 80s movies, I feel like the frat brothers were the bad people in the movies. Yeah. Okay. Like the jerks. I, uh, yes. Revenge, Revenge of the Nerds was a pretty yeah. big movie. and But you had the nerdy frat and you had the jock frat. Yeah, that's true. That's so, true. yeah, I, I I don't know. But I I'm, I think I was smart enough to know yeah. <clears throat> at the age of 18 that those, those are, are probably, movies. yeah, those are movies. They're not, yeah. you know, they're Star Wars. I don't believe that right. in a galaxy far, far away. So the, uh, so I just didn't know what I was getting into. And, when I so I get accepted to University of Washington. Now, the house that my parents still live in, the house that I grew up in, is not actually that far from the university. Mm-hmm. It's you know half hour drive. So you could have conceivably lived at home. Totally, driving across Seattle can take forty five minutes. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And so it's not like even though I lived outside Seattle, I was just like. And at the time, I'm thinking I'm eighteen. I have no life skills. I don't know how to do my own laundry. My mom is a very nice mom. Yeah. I I have my own car. My parents let me drive their car. Yeah. I, I I'm the only one who lives in the basement. So my house there was a it was a split level and and by the time my older brother and sister moved out, I basically had the whole basement to myself. Oh. My own bathroom, yeah. my, my own room, my own door in and out. And I was like this is kind of a sweet deal. Yeah. You know, my parents don't really get in my way. I can do whatever right. I want. And I thought, you know what? I think I'll just stay home. And I told my uh, parents that. And there, and my mom was like, no, 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 you're, <laughs> you're moving out. <laughs> that was my mom too. <laughs> and guess what? You're joining a fraternity. Oh, okay. So here's your mom. So here's, so here's the other part of the story. My mom went to uh, Washington state university okay. and was in a sorority. Oh, and is still friends. 55 years later with a lot of the people that were in her sorority with some of the people. So she has some positive memories about it. The other thing is, is that my older sister who is six years older than me uh, went to university of Washington Mm -hmm. and was in a sorority and got a three, nine 
she graduated with like a three eight five or three niners, magna wow. cum laude, whatever you have to do to get that. And uh, her experience in the sorority was positive. She yeah. had friends in the sorority. It, she, she didn't party. She she was um, the she married her high school sweetheart. So the entire time she was in the sorority, she had yeah. a boyfriend, a steady boyfriend. And so my sister's account of a sorority was this was this nice place to live. Right. And this instant group of friends. And it wasn't the spring break of debauchery. Right. It had My sister exhibited no debauchery and yeah. talked nothing about any debauchery. I'm sure yeah. she must have seen things, but yeah. it certainly wasn't seemingly a part of her life. And my mom certainly didn't have any of that. So my older, I mean, my yeah, my sister and my mom were both saying to me, you're going to be in a frat. Right. And so in my head, I'm thinking, okay, well, I guess that's that. Were your brothers in frats? No. Okay. Uh, my older brother uh, went to like, he his college career was sort of sporadic, so okay. he, he, he wasn't really. But anyway, so yeah, I guess it might have been different if my brother was in a frat. Yeah. But anyway, so I don't have any associations with it. And right. I wonder if I would have done something different if I did. I don't know if I would have. The second thing is, is my sister and my mom are both saying you're gonna, you're, you're not, you're not only not gonna live at home, you're, but you're, and you're not gonna be in the dorms. You're gonna be in a frat. Right. That's higher than peer pressure. That's family pressure. <laughs> right. And well, my mom's paying the bills, so I'm yeah. like, okay, I, I guess that's what's gonna happen. So the first thing you have to do is you have to start rushing. You have to go to these parties and these events that the frats will put on and. And at these events, you basically are kind of like dating each other. Yeah. The the under the eighteen year olds are trying to find the frat that they want to be in, and once they find a frat they want to be in, then they sort of say, "Can I be in this frat?" And then the frats are trying to find good candidates, good fits that to be in their fraternity. Right. And there's a lot of different kinds of fraternities, and that's the first thing I realized because I you know I rushed a bunch of different fraternities, and the thing I realized was every type of dude is in a fraternity, but, mm-hmm. but the fraternities attract certain kinds of dudes. I see. So, so you, there's like more academically focused ones. And, yeah. You had the jock fraternity. You, you had the party guy fraternity. You had the nerd fraternities. You had the pretty boy fraternities. You had the rich boy fraternities. <laughs> you had the uh, brown people fraternities. <laughs> now, I don't know if today is like that, but it certainly was then. There was one fraternity that, I felt very comfortable at because it was like one of the only frats that was like mainly people of color, oh, wow. a lot of a lot of other Asians, and you had the yeah I guess you had the academically minded. You would have like the engineering fraternities, and it wasn't formal like that, but it would just kind of gravitate towards those things. By the way, what year did you graduate from uh, UW? Ninety three. That's the year I started. That's uh, crazy. We just missed each other. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so you started in the fall of 93? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I graduated early, by the way. Oh. So in the, I graduated in April of, uh, yeah. of, uh, 93. Anyway. So I said that with a joking, but you know, he so, raised his eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in true frat brother fashion. Yeah. So I joined the fraternity and instantly I realized that it was a good move because I joined, uh, I joined a nerd fraternity. Like when I, cause I looked at and a lot of different fraternities were uh-huh. interested in me. Um, it, me and Chris Glover, you know, Chris Glover, yeah, yeah. the two of us were rushing together, which was kind of weird for, because it wasn't usually that people would rush with I a see. friend. 
And so the two of us definitely felt more comfortable with the nerd fraternities. And, um, and so we joined one of the nerd fraternities. And uh, it was great, you know, instant group of friends, fun guys. You're living in this this house together. Um, everyone's nice. They they're generous, but they do care about their grades. And everyone cares about their grades. Yeah, because one, it's a University of Washington fraternity. Yeah, this isn't a Chico State. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah, let's just just let's vilify Chico State because they have a reputation for being the party school of America, or something like Wazoo or something. Yeah, so Wazoo <laughs> sort of in that direction, or Arizona State, I think is another one. And so now those people are also academic, more academically minded than people who don't go to college, I yeah. suppose. But University of Washington students in general are pretty nerdy, academic, success oriented people. Yeah. And so, uh, so our frat was, you know, Phil, but it's a fraternity. Okay. So that's my story with that. And I'm still friends with basically all the guys in my fraternity. Ah. And some of them I see on a regular basis. Do you have reunions? Uh, yeah. I yeah. mean, we, we see each other so often we don't really need those. I see. And we go to, you know, you do Husky football games and right. blah, blah, blah. So I say all this now, and we had, we had gay guys in the frat. We had, um, now they weren't particularly open cause it was the early nineties, sure. but they were kind of open and eventually they were outed. They were, mm-hmm. they, they did you know, come out of the closet themselves. And now, so it was a positive experience for me. There were pros and cons. I'm sure I would have had equally a good a time if I lived in the dorms or whatever. It just would have been a different experience. But my point is, is that it's not that strange of a circumstance. You have 65 guys who live in a large, uh, basically a large mansion. Yeah. And you don't have any oversight. But the only person we paid was a cook who would cook, uh, you know, three meals Monday through Friday and weekends were on our own and summers we were on our own too. So in the house, the house is basically being run by like five 21 year olds. Cause by the time you're 22, you're kind of checked out or you move out of the, sure, ha- you move sure. out of the house. So the fact that these houses still exist and don't burn down <laughs> means that, you know, when these people want to be responsible, they can. Right. So people out there who have kids, imagine your 21-year-old, you know, son is in charge of, a, of 65 college guys. Wow. And, and there's no oversight. It seems like good training for parenthood, actually. It was. I mean, for yeah. being part of an organization. Yeah. For doing your part. Yet everyone had chores. Everyone yeah. had a job to do. And because we didn't have a maid, right? We, we right, couldn't right. You have to do it all yourself. Yeah, you you got every event you ran. You had to uh, organize. We had to vote on things. We had to have uh, meetings and, right. and organize. And all of that, there was no. We were Lord of the Flies. There was <laughs> there was no adult guiding us. Yeah, not a single adult. Nobody. It yeah, was yeah. just us. And the, and we totally did it. You know. Yeah. I'm not going to say it was a very clean house. Sure, but... (laughs) I'm not going to say that it was easy to get a good night's sleep every night. (laughs) But, you know, it it functioned. Yeah. And there wasn't any untoward behavior, you know. 
sure there was one sexual assault that happened by one of our uh, members, but he was thoroughly prosecuted by us mm-hmm. that, you know, and it, it was basically came down between a story between her, his story and her story. Mm-hmm. And most of the people in the frat believed his story. Mm-hmm. And the other side was just like, well, we don't really know. It hasn't been to court yet. That was kind of the attitude. Yeah. And he was kicked out of the house and it was not, it was not smiled upon. Let's yeah, put yeah. it that way. He, he, he was raked over the coals and some, some summarily kicked out of the fraternity, yeah. even though it never went to court. And even though all we quote unquote had was the, the females yeah. allegations. And it wasn't even the, it was a, it was a date rape situation that was, let's say on the mild side. Yeah. And so uh, that doesn't make it any better. But you guys better. didn't stand for it. You guys. Yeah. Yeah. We, and we certainly yeah. wouldn't promote that behavior yeah. in people. Now, am I, now, having said all that, are there fraternities that are bad actors? Yes. You just right. type into Google, yeah. <laughs> bad acting fraternities, right. N-words on, on buses, right. uh, open talks about raping. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, that one kid that we did an episode on that raped that woman behind that dumpster. Yeah. He was in a fraternity. Was, yeah, probably, yeah. And so these things happen. But the thing is, is that it happens in the dorms, too. Yeah. That's the key. It's not like the boys, it's not like the 19-year-old boys in dorms don't get fucked up and and a small minority of them rape people. Yeah. It's not like uh, a small minority of the 19-year-old boys in dorms don't say racist things. Right, right. Because they do. It's just that when you're in a fraternity, you have an organization that you can attack. When a 19-year-old boy in, you know, McMahon Hall at UW says the N-word. You're just like, oh, well, a college kid said the N-word. You don't say boy from McMahon Hall. Because McMahon Hall has a racist problem. Yeah, you're just like, he's just a kid. But when a boy in a fraternity does something wrong, then it's the organization's fault. It's not the organization's fault. Now, certainly some fraternities can have problems. The other thing I'll say is that different campuses have totally different cultures when it comes to fraternities. Uh, there are certain campuses and, you know, I've heard stories where it's maybe a fair statement to say that every single frat boy at that college is a, is a shitty person. Yeah. <laughs> or at least m- a much higher rate of being shitty. Shittiness. <laughs> I went to University of Washington. These are, these are people who got, you know, 3.8s in high school yeah. just to get into the school. So these aren't the sort of people who are prone to that kind of right, behavior. Right. You know what I mean? Um, anyway. I you- almost uh, I almost joined a frat at UW. Hmm. So the summer before I started, I, I had no intention to be in a frat. Uh, probably because I had a negative impression from the 80s movies. Um, but also, I, I just wanted to live in the dorm with my buddy and play music and stuff like that. But a friend of mine was starting that year too, and he had decided to rush a fraternity. So they, he was which uh, one? Uh, I don't remember the letters. Uh, it was Greek letters to me. What street was it on? <laughs> uh, let's see. You cross that main road that eventually goes down seventeenth, and it was like one of the first houses on the right hand side. Sigma Chi. That sounds similar to something. <laughs> it might have been Sigma Chi. Yeah, it was something like that, and. They invited me to a party. 
you know, so I went to the party. It was tons of fun. In fact, uh, during that party, we went to the underground, this old dance place that you're familiar with. And I met this girl that ended up being who I lost my virginity to, you know, and like stuff like not that night, but like soon after. Uh, and so it was a great night all around. But man, I got invited to more of these kind of get togethers and parties. And there was just like this realization in my head that if I joined, I was never going to do schoolwork. I, and I don't mean because everyone else wouldn't either. I meant me. Like I just kind of had enough self-awareness of my limits that I'm like, oh my God, I don't think I could do this. I, I think I would flunk out the first year. Interesting. Uh, and I probably would have. And again, not I'm not putting down that fraternity. They seemed on the level. They were also a nerd fraternity. It was like my my friend from high school had good grades and stuff like that. And I had ever, I, they they graduated. You know, they never got into any trouble. He never is. You know, the per- place didn't burn down, like you said. And I probably would, to be honest, I probably would have been able to do fine. But part of me feared, because I was going from always living at home to like unbridled freedom and then all these parties and all these things. And I was like, I don't think I can do this. And so I, I sadly, or I guess I, I turned them down and I decided to stick to the dorms. That's interesting that you had the maturity to recognize that. Yeah. Because I don't think I would have. I was, af- I was afraid that... Um, I was afraid that I would turn into like one of those cautionary tales. <laughs> <laughs> like like the poster boy for why you shouldn't yeah, join yeah, a friend. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we got to go. But the last thing I'll say about this is that I have essentially been trying to justify to every listener. So I'm as I reveal this, I have to... So I, I don't reveal this in most of my circles. Yeah. So for me to put this on the internet is really a big deal. And because I know there is tremendous prejudice about frat people, I will be walking down the street with someone and they'll, and the person with me will see a bunch of annoying douchebags uh-huh. and they'll be like, Oh, look at those frat bo- frat boys over there. Uh-huh. And all I can think is like, you don't fucking know if they're frat boys. If anything, there probably aren't. Cause they're yeah. probably frat boys are kind of a minority in the world. Yeah. There's not a lot of them, you know? Um, so now I am not comparing the marginalization that I feel to other groups. Sure. Of course. Uh, uh, it's 0.1% the marginalization that, you know, classic marginalized groups experience. So I'm not, I'm not claiming that, but I am saying that we all just have to think about what sort of marginalization, even on a tiny level that we're doing towards particular kinds of groups, like millennials, for example. Right. Millennials get crapped on a lot. I, I've said uh, jokingly that I've come out of the closet as a Seattleite who doesn't like to go camping. Yeah. <laughs> and every other time I come out of the closet, you know, I'll be at a dinner party or something and I'll be like, uh, you know what? And they'll, you know, everyone's talking about camping and I'll be like, you know what? I came out of the closet 15 years ago and I, I said that I don't like to go camping. Every other time I say that, someone will look at me <laughs> as as if, there's something wrong with me. What is wrong with you? Yeah. They'll be like, so wait, so I don't understand. You don't like to go. You don't like the outdoors. What is it that you don't like? You don't yeah. like the fresh air. Yeah. What is it you don't like about it? Just tell they're, me. They're I'm off- just asking. They're offended by the fact that I just don't have a preference for something that they have a preference <laughs> for. And, and I, and as soon as they do that, all I can think in my head is like, 
well, that's why I was in the closet, you fucking idiot. <laughs> you know, your, your reaction. You know, if you said you like to go camping, I'd be like, great, you like to go camping. You know, this other person doesn't it's, like to go camping. It's hilarious when, and I, I'm sure I've, I know I've done it too with my own things, but it's hilarious when people assume that because they like stuff, you must love it too. And if you don't like it, there's something there's wrong something with wrong you. With it, yeah. yeah, or you're not thinking about it right or yeah. something. And it's like, no, I, I grew up in Seattle. I camped a lot in my 20s yeah. um, out of necessity in some ways. But anyway, yeah. so I'm saying we have to be very careful about the groups that we marginalize, even those groups that we traditionally see as privileged groups. And fraternities are privileged groups in general. One, male. Two, you have to be rich to be in a fraternity, at least of a certain level. Three, you have to be educated. You have to come from a background that allowed you in general to become yep. educated and stable enough to go to such a thing. So I get that. It's a massively, of the groups on the planet, frat boys are at the pinnacle of privilege. So, yeah. it, But at the same time, in the same way that men can experience sexism, frat boys can experience marginalization. Yep. It doesn't mean that it's on the same level, and it's not the first thing we want to attack in our Bill of Rights, but it is something that if we're going to be fair and we're going to eradicate this sort of thing, we have to do it on on all levels. Everyone deserves not to be marginalized. And one of the things that I've seen happen is that uh, as people of color as marginalized groups start to gain power, they will sometimes do this shorthand of attacking certain groups of people that they feel deserve to be marginalized. They're safe to be marginalized. Yeah. That like, like uh, white men, you know, yeah. you know, Protestant, old, white, yeah, yeah. heterosexual men. Now, I don't, as people listen to the podcast, I don't have any problem calling out those groups, but I do have a problem with marginalizing them. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a problem with calling out how they marginalize others. I don't have a problem with calling out their privilege. I don't have a problem with calling out when they're, uh, you know, exhibiting privilege and not being fair. I do have a problem with trying to push them down to bring yourself up. We can all be risen to the same level. We don't have to put other people down. And uh, I say this because at times on this podcast, it's relevant for me to say when I was in a frat. Yeah. Because I have a lot of experiences of being in that fraternity that are psychological, sociological, cultural. So now you can do it. Now I can actually talk about it. And I feel like I've been holding back with the listeners about it. What do you think about that, bro? Well, that's great because now I can call you yuppie frat boy to your face all the time. Well, that does it for that episode (laughs) of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it.